Well, good morning. If you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. My name is Scott Burns. I'm one of the pastors here at Alliance. And if you are visiting with us today, we are glad you are here. We are, we, we are, we are glad you're here. Welcome. I've got a few things I want to say just before we, we jump into God's Word this morning. First of all, uh, I do just want to reiterate, those of you who made Joy Prom possible, thank you so much. Uh, it was a wonderful day yesterday. Um, it looked great in here, but I think the mood was even better. There was great joy, and I'm sure you were blessed, and I want you to know that you were a blessing to others in our community. Second, if you're a regular attender or a member uh, then you probably know that our senior pastor, Scott Andrews, began his three-month sabbatical this week. If you had missed that up to this point, now you know. About 16 or 17 years ago, the elders at this church instituted a sabbatical policy for full-time pastors. Pastors are awarded uh, a sabbatical every five years so that they can, quote, rejuvenate and re-equip for spiritual battle. The time is supposed to be spent in Rest and prayer and Bible study, continuing education, and in some other ministry context. So Scott's going to be doing all of that, but for this first month, it's pretty intense, actually. He's, he's actually preparing to teach the entire book of Romans at a Bible college in the Middle East. I hope you see what an opportunity this is for him, for those pastors in the Middle East, and, and even for us as well. For Scott, he gets to take one of the most powerful books of the Bible into one of the most needy areas of the world. For those pastors, they get to learn from a man who spent about a year and a half to two years studying that book and preaching through it verse by verse. And for us, we get to loan him to a part of the world desperate for the gospel. He and some of his family will be functioning as missionaries in a number of places in the Middle East. And he has asked for our prayers as he prepares and as they go. So please do that. He's supposed to teach through the book of Romans, the entire book, in eight days. So now we're going to take a survey. How many of you believe miracles happen? <laughs> He'll do it, Lord willing. So for the next three months, a number of people are going to fill the pulpit I'll preach about half of the time. A few others uh, will cover the other half. And as I thought about what I could preach uh, while Scott was away, I pondered teaching through Obadiah, Haggai, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude. All of those are very short books, and my main reason for that was so that I could tell Scott I preached through five books of the Bible while he was gone. <laughs> I figured if I got the others to join me, we could probably knock out 1 John as well so that when he came back, we could say we knocked out four New Testament books and two Old Testament books in three months. That would really bother him. <laughs> but I had no spiritual reasons for any of that. It just sounded fun. So instead of that, we are going to be in a series we have entitled Life Together. In light of our vision this year, it seems appropriate to spend some time looking at what is involved in being a Christian community. So John Hanna, our vice chair of the elders, Michael Talley, our college director, and two church members, Dick Bransford and David Grollo, will help me in this series. I'm excited about it. We're going to be looking at what it takes to build a gospel-centered community. 
we have been in a series that is primarily focused on those personal disciplines that, that we must do in order to personally connect with God. And now we're going to be looking at the corporate commitments, the corporate disciplines that help us connect to each other and help us help each other connect to God. I'll explain a little bit more next week, but today is Mother's Day. Now, the message for today is for everybody, and it fits into this new series, but there will be some particular attention and application that I'm going to give to all of the mothers in this room. When I was a kid, Mother's Day seemed pretty simple. It was a day for being extra nice to mom and recognizing that our family would be in big trouble without her. But over the years, ministry has taught me that Mother's Day can be complicated for some people. For some, Mother's Day can be difficult because your mother has passed away. I did the funeral for uh, Carol's grandmother this week. So today, uh, Carol's dad is experiencing his first Mother's Day without his mother. And some of you are experiencing that same thing today. We even have some, some church members who lost their mother this weekend or are with their mother in what appears to be their final days. For others, Mother's Day can be difficult because you're not a mother yet, but you desperately want to be. So before we open God's word, I want to acknowledge that I know this day can create a variety of emotions. Today's message is for everybody in this room, and I believe it will be helpful to you in your walk with Christ. But I will seek to provide some particular encouragement and attention to moms. Life together as a body of Christ does call for honoring certain people on occasion. Life together should result in challenging and encouraging specific groups of people on occasion. The scripture calls us to honor our father and our mother, and that is my aim today. So let me pray for us before we move into that. Father, we thank you for today. It is a day that you have made and it is a day that you have given to us to gather together as a Christian community to worship you. We thank you for your word that you have spoken to us that we can go to it and learn and be changed. We ask you to use your word today in our individual lives and in the life of this church. We thank you. We love you. We want to love you more. Make it so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin by asking you a question. It's for everybody, but, but maybe for moms in particular. Have you ever prayed for something that seemed so reasonable, but you saw no answer to your prayer? Aurelius Augustine was born on November 13th, 354. His father was a pagan middle-class farmer who wanted his son to get the best education in rhetoric that he could. Their relationship was never very good. Augustine rarely mentions him in his writings, and when he does, it is usually not positive. However, Augustine's mother, Monica, was a devout Christian. She lived a remarkable and winsome life before her pagan husband, whom she had been given to in marriage. Her life was what eventually led her husband to the Lord in the final year of his life. She prayed for her entire family on a regular basis and regularly instructed her children in the faith. But by the time Augustine was 16, he had turned away from the church, rejecting his mother's instruction and ignoring her model living. He went on to explore every possible path of pleasure 
and truth. He lived with a woman who was not his wife for 15 years, fathering a child in the midst of that relationship. And he would have some other women as well besides her before his conversion. From age 19 to 28, Augustine was drunk with lust and intellectualism. Even as he began to feel the emptiness of lust and philosophy in his late 20s, it would take several years before he would finally repent of his sin and call upon Jesus Christ to save him. His dramatic conversion took place when he was around 32 years old. His mother would die a year after his conversion, but she would die a very happy woman, her prayers for her husband and Augustine being answered. The volume of theological writing by Augustine is absolutely staggering. And he mentions his mother often, particularly in his work entitled Confessions. In that work, Augustine attributes his mother's unceasing prayers, even in the midst of his most depraved years, as the means God used to bring salvation. Augustine said this, Yet from your heights you stretched your hand out over me and drew my soul up out of this dark abyss since my mother, your servant, was crying more abundant tears than mothers would cry for a dead son. She knew that I was dead from the faith you breathed into her. You heard her, Lord, heard her and heeded her prayers so freely flowing from her that she moistened the ground beneath her as she prayed. As hard as Augustine tried, he was unable to outrun his mother's prayers. Praise God for his grace and his mercy. Augustine went on to become a bishop, one of the earliest church fathers, and was an amazing defender and teacher of Christianity. Christian History Magazine says, after Jesus and Paul, Augustine of Hippo is most likely the most influential figure in the history of Christianity. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ can save even the worst of sinners through his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his glorious resurrection. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you repent and believe, you can be born again into a new person who lives an entirely different and much more joyful life. If you've not done that, I plead with you to do so today. But many in this room are new creatures in Christ. But, but even as redeemed people, we are often tempted to despair and lose heart in prayer when there is a delayed answer or what seems like no answer at all. And we're tempted to trust in our own sufficiency or lay blame on our insufficiency in ways that actually hinder our faith. And our passage today will help us point, uh, it'll help point us in a different direction. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. And if you're able to stand, if you wouldn't mind standing as we read God's word. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the, right, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God 
give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might, re- that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The big idea of this section of scripture is this. Faith and prayer cannot be separated. Genuine faith will humbly persevere in prayer during difficult times. And genuine faith will express itself with a dependent trust in God. We have before us this morning two parables and then an event involving children that will help us see that big idea. Jesus tells the first parable to call us to always pray and not lose heart. Parables were stories Jesus told uh, in order to illustrate or teach a truth about God. This parable is about a widow who has been wronged and she persistently seeks justice from a very wicked judge. So imagine with me an 87-year-old widow here in Watauga County. Her small house is a bit run down and one day a man knocks on her door and offers to repair it. She agrees to pay him up front for his work and she empties her savings account to do so. The man removes the gutters from her house, tears off all of the siding. After doing that, he knocks on her door and tells her that that things are worse than he expected. As he was removing the siding, uh, he discovered some wood that had been at some point eaten by termites. He's removed that wood, but he's gonna need some more money to make all of the repairs. She goes to her sock drawer. She pulls out what remaining cash she has, about $1,000, and she hands it to him. He drives off to purchase all of the materials, but he does not return. Weeks go by, and he never shows up. Her house, which is all that she has left, is completely exposed and is being ruined by the Boone Spring Rain. The phone number that he gave her isn't actually his number. But as she handed him that cash, all that she had left, she, she did take a moment to look at his truck and she can remember what it looks like and, and she even jotted down his license plate. So after a while, she attempts to take him to court. But there's a godless and heartless judge who keeps refusing to hear her case. Day after day, month after month, he delays it. He doesn't want to hear it. She returns each day only to be sent home. After four months, 
the judge finally caves to her persistence and gives her justice, not because it was right to do so, but because he's tired of her. That is the parable. In many of Jesus' parables, he compares things that are similar. Instead, this parable is a comparison of opposites. What is so interesting about this parable is that Jesus uses it to give us a picture of God. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Jesus' point is this. If a worldly, wicked judge will finally give a widow what she is due, how much more, how much more will the just, holy, and loving Father vindicate his elect children who cry to him day and night? In Luke 17, Jesus provides some teaching about the last days and the second coming of Christ. And part of his point in that teaching is that there's going to be a delay in his return. Times will get harder. And when Christ finally comes, everyone will be going about their daily routine and not really expecting it. And then he uses this parable in Luke 18 to teach his followers that prayer must be present in Christ's followers as times of difficulty and injustice increase. Has anybody in here experienced difficulty in these days? Has anybody in here seen and felt the injustice that is all over our world today? The delay in Christ's return is supposed to be an opportunity to persevere in faith, bearing fruit and praying for his kingdom to come to those who do not yet believe. So the point in this first parable is for all of us, continue in prayer and don't give up even when the answer seems delayed and justice seems absent. Augustine's mother, her faithful and persistent prayer is a good example for all of us. Monica prayed for about 32 years before Augustine repented and believed. She was this persistent widow, bringing her request before God day after day, But the judge that she approached was not at all like the unjust judge in this parable. Have you ever prayed for something that seemed so reasonable but saw no answer to your prayer? God's word to you today is don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. He works all things together in his time and his way. You must trust him. And church, Life together always involves prayer for each other. Not just prayer for our own needs and our own lives, but prayer for one another. We need to be praying big, sweeping prayers, praying for mothers, praying for fathers, praying for youth, praying for retirees, praying that the lost in this community would be saved. And life together helps us pray and not give up. And I'm speaking from personal experience here. As most of you know, our two-year-old has kind of a rare disease. It's it's manageable, but it takes a lot of work to manage it. Carol took Caleb back to Cincinnati this week for some follow-up tests. And we're still waiting to talk to the doctor about the results, but it, it does look hopeful. Many of you have faithfully prayed for him. But just to be honest with you, there have been times where the daily grind of managing his care and all of the different setbacks that have come along the way have completely discouraged me. 
to the point that I just said, why pray? I've prayed for months. Why keep praying? And without fail, whenever I have come to that point, somebody in this church has come up to me and said, I'm praying for your son. And that was God's gentle reminder to me in that moment. Don't stop praying. This is what life together is all about. Christianity is not just some moral code that we all try and live. Christianity is about relationship with God. It's about being restored to our holy creator. And being restored to him is what makes relationship with each other so much richer and so much more meaningful and so helpful. Life together as Christians involves persevering prayer for each other. As a church, we should keep praying for all of the difficult situations that are currently present within our body. And there are many. There are many that we might be tempted to say, well, God hasn't answered that yet, so I'm just gonna stop. May we not be those kind of people. May we continue to pray even about those difficult things within our body. Moms, you experience a particular loneliness a particular exhaustion and a unique combination of trials. You are uniquely targeted by our culture with a constant barrage of mixed messages that might leave you confused, overwhelmed, and disheartened. Prayer is the only road to sanity and security in who you are in Christ. You must keep praying. It is the greatest work you can do. I know that you have a lot to do, but prayer is the greatest work you can do. Now, I want to flesh this out just a little bit more. Moms, I know that the call to keep praying could discourage you because it sounds like just one more thing to add to your already very busy day. I think there are two types of praying. There's the get by yourself in a quiet place and pray for an extended time. And we need that for sure. But there's also a kind of praying that, that Pastor Matt Chandler calls rifle prayers. Rifle prayers are short, targeted prayers in the midst of battle. I am fully aware that if you have toddlers and you head off to your prayer closet for hours each day, your house will be burned down. <laughs> you certainly need those times of extended prayer, but they might have to coincide with nap time or a women's retreat or something like that. Rifle prayers throughout the day in the midst of mothering is a way for you to remain connected to God. It's a way for you to lift your children before the Lord throughout the day. Moms, you typically have sensitive radars. You often spot trouble quicker than most people. You can hear children fighting even when they're upstairs with the door closed. Dads can't do that. You often can see and feel injustice that your children experience in a fallen world and it discourages you when the guilty get away with it. What do you do? You must go to God who is the exact opposite of the unjust judge in this parable. About a month ago, the pastoral team went to Louisville, Kentucky for a conference called Together for the Gospel. 
David Platt, the author of Radical, you may be familiar with that, delivered a sermon on prayer that was absolutely fabulous. It would do you good to go to t4g.org and listen to it. It's called Relenting Wrath, The Role of Desperate Prayer in the Mystery of Divine Providence. It's a pretty cool title. It's like theological steak. It's really good. Let me give you just a couple of bites on what he says in that sermon. He says, God wills to work through willing intercessors. God has ordained to use our prayers in the midst of his purposes. He goes on to say, God in his providence has not called us to watch history as we pray. Rather, God is calling us to be involved in the shaping of history in God's unfolding plan. Biblical reasons for for Platt saying that can be discovered if you listen to that sermon. But I want you to hear this. The reason God calls us to persevering prayer is because he uses our prayers. That's an amazing thing to ponder. But it's true. When we choose not to pray, we are essentially saying to God, do whatever you want and I'll deal with whatever comes. Scripture does not call us to fatalism. Instead, it calls us to faith connected to God through prayer. And the next parable is instructive for us in how we approach God. In the second parable, we have two men, two prayers, and two results. The first man is a Pharisee. That means he's a very pious religious man who loves rules. He stands before God and basically presents his personal resume as a self-absorbed, self-righteous, and very confident man. Basically, he says, God, I thank you that I'm better than other people. And God rejects this man. The other man is a tax collector, most likely a Jew collecting taxes for Rome. Tax collectors were viewed as traitors and thieves, and usually they were. This tax collector was under conviction and he also prays to God, but he is humble, broken, and repentant. And God receives this man. So as we go to God, we can either go to him with a cocky attitude or a contrite heart. We can go to God with an I'm awesome and others aren't attitude. Or we can go to God with a heart that says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I clean. One approach results in you being accepted by God, and the other approach results in you being rejected by God. So the point of this second parable is don't trust in your own sufficiency and your own righteousness. That's good news for all of us, but, but moms, hear that for you this morning. That is good news for you. You don't have to Bank on your own sufficiency or your own righteousness. You can appeal to Christ instead. Let me tie these two parables together. A broken world full of injustice and the delay of Christ's return, it could cause us to lose heart and give up. And Jesus tells us to keep praying and not lose heart. And this broken world and the delayed return of Christ could cause us to approach God with the wrong attitude. We could say, hey, God, don't you see that I'm knocking it out of the park here? Where's my blessing? Where's my answer? And you would be like the Pharisee if you prayed that way. But if you pray, Lord, I know I'm doing better than I deserve. But I bring these requests to you again because I'm needy 
I'm desperate. I need your help. Please hear my prayer. That is a prayer coming from a heart that has the right posture before a holy God. So which one are you? Do you go to God like a Pharisee or do you go to God like a sinner? Moms, you could be a Pharisee and a lot of other women might buy that, be impressed by that and look to you. But God would not be impressed. Instead, Scripture calls you as a mom to take all of your hurts, all of your bad habits, all of your hang-ups, all of your insufficiencies, and bring it before God. You can take your needs before Him, and He will prove Himself to be good and loving and just and perfect. Monica waited for 32 years to see how God chose to completely display all of that. But she saw it. And Augustine didn't just become a child of God. He became a crucial leader in the early days of the church. And his work still helps us today. After two parables, Luke briefly tells us of a time when parents were trying to bring their children, even their infants, to Jesus so he could touch them. And that idea also carries the idea of, of praying for them and blessing them. And the disciples rebuked those parents. Perhaps they viewed Jesus as too important for children. And Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, the kingdom belongs to children. And if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you will have to come to it like a child. Now, children certainly aren't sinless. Every mother knows that, but they are typically dependent and trusting and they're willing to receive a gift. And this is how we must come to God, dependent, trusting, and willing to receive a gracious gift. Salvation cannot be earned. Be like a child when you come to God, dependent and trusting. And there's a message to every mom in this very brief story. Moms, you can be involved in kingdom work right there in your home. And you have before you a picture of how all of us are to approach God the Father, just like a child. And church, life together is enhanced by including children and ministering to them. They remind all of us of the way into the kingdom of God. If there's any reason to be involved in children's ministry, that must be it. They remind us how we come to God ourselves. If the Son of God considered children worth His time, how much more should we? So to close this morning, let me remind you of our main points. It's application for all of us, but maybe particularly for moms this morning. Always pray and don't give up. Don't trust in your own sufficiency or righteousness. Lean on Christ's instead. And be like a child when you come to God, dependent and trusting. And how this sermon fits into this new series that we're starting, this Life Together, here's a couple of ways. Life Together always involves prayer for each other. Life Together helps us pray and not give up. Life Together is hindered when we are self-absorbed and self-righteous like that Pharisee. And life together is enhanced by including children because they remind us of the way into the kingdom. 
So this morning, uh, we are going to pray. We're going to do that in a couple of ways. First, Karen Dagger is going to come on up, and she's going to pray for all of the mothers in this room. It's very appropriate on a day like today to do that. We will sing a song uh, as a final expression of corporate worship to God. And then uh, if you're a part of the uh, prayer response team, I would encourage you to come forward at that time and be available to anybody who might want to come and pray with you about anything uh, going on in their life. When Marcy called me this week to um, close in prayer, I'm still choked up. God in his mercy gave me something. I had no idea what Scott Burns was going to preach about today. And yet it all ties together with just this little quote that I wanted to share with you all. Because we as moms sometimes feel pressure. And I, I'll go beyond moms. I'll say the, those perhaps that are called to pour into other people. Maybe you don't have a child of your own, but you're pouring into that person. And there's all this pressure. We're told to read what to expect while you're expecting. And we're told to read Dr. Spock for the older generations or Dr. Dobson and how all, all of our ducks in a row. And I've had parents come to me and say, what do you do in this situation or that situation? And um, there's a lot of pressure, even in spiritual circles, to produce a perfect child, so to speak. And that's not what we're called to do, but yet it's such a tender role that God himself allows the Apostle Paul to say in Thessalonians that, um, you know, I loved you like a mother loves her little children. And I shared with you the gospel and I poured my life, my heart into you. And he's describing what we're to do as moms or as mentors. And maybe you haven't had a, a good godly example, but you've had a godly mentor and, and maybe you yourself think, how can I possibly be a good mom? I want, I want to read this to you. I, I read it, um, actually, when I went to pick up my daughter at Wheaton, I was doing some work um, in the archives they have there and read this quote from a Pastor Roy Gustafson, who's a family friend of ours who's since been on to be with Jesus. And he was talking about the 23rd Psalm. And he says, have you ever noticed how the 23rd Psalm was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ? Our Lord himself said, I'm the good shepherd. James H. McConkie once speculated that if sheep could talk and a wise sheep and a foolish sheep, shepherd were holding, and a foolish sheep, I should say, were holding converse, the foolish one might speak after this fashion. I know where the crystal brook babbles from the grotto and I shall never want for drink. I know where the great oak spreads its leafy branches, and I shall not want for shade. I know the green pastures of tender grass, and I shall not want for food. And I know where the door of the fold stands wide open. I shall never want for refuge. I know these things, and I shall never want. In other words, I've got my life together. I have, I have prepared. <laughs> then McConkie wrote, he could hear the wise sheep answering, Oh, foolish sheep. Suppose the pastures of green and tender grass should dry up. What would you do for food? Suppose the woodsman comes and cuts down the spreading oak tree. Where would be your shade? Suppose the sun of summer dries up the babbling brook. How would you quench your thirst? Suppose the gaunt gray wolf leaps into the fold. Where would you go for protection? And the wise sheep continued, I have a better reason than yours for not wanting. I have the best shepherd in the world. Therefore, I shall not want. Mother, therefore, you shall not want. Grandmother, 
adoptive mother mentor. If the brook dries up, he, the shepherd, will find another for me. If the tree is cut down by the woodsman's axe, he will lead me to the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. If the pastures dry up under the summer sun, he knows how to find others. And when the wolf comes, my shepherd will lay down his life, if need be, for his sheep. Oh, foolish sheep, I shall never want because I do not trust in things that may change or men who may prove false, but in the shepherd who does not change and will never fail me. Mothers, can you stand a minute? And I'd like to pray. Lord God of heaven, almighty God, I think of Isaiah 40, one of my favorite passages, Lord, where we see you're so mighty, you create the heavens, you have the far-flung universe, you know, the stars, you call them by name, and yet you care for mothers. And Lord, we look to you as our shepherd, and we ask for your guidance and your grace and your wisdom and we trust you're going to find those places we need to be and the food we need to nurture others so that we truly can pour our lives into those you've entrusted us with. And Lord, I, I love how in Isaiah 40 it also says, after you've created all these things and you're so mighty and you're so powerful, like a shepherd, you, you gather the lambs in your arms and you hold them close to you and you gently lead those who have young. And Lord, sometimes, you know, you do gently lead us, and sometimes you take our lambs, and you're just holding them. And I thank you for that. And together as a church body, we pray that we would be faithful stewards to those you've entrusted to our care, and that we would look to you, our shepherd, and that we'd know we're a flock, but you're our shepherd. And I ask this in the priceless, matchless name of Jesus. Amen.